Amen. All right. Thank y'all. Amen. Gave me a breath, minute to catch my breath and uh, amen. Get batteries changed out. I didn't realize I needed them until just a second ago. So uh, thank y'all for that. Thank y'all again for being here uh, this morning. As, again, as I said this morning, the theme kind of in the song service uh, was um, the forgiveness of sin and God's grace and, and uh, his mercy. And uh, I really want to talk to you this morning on the subject. Uh, the title of this message this morning is The Consequences of Sin. Um, because, you know, a lot of times we talk about, and we should, we talk about the grace of God, and we talk about the mercy of God, and we talk about the forgiveness of God. But if we're not careful, we can overemphasize those things and uh, forget that sin still has consequences in our lives. And I remember back when I was, uh, when I was a young man, um, I was probably uh, in my early teens at the time, and uh, maybe just getting into my teen years, I'm not really sure, but... Uh, uh, we were at Bay Springs Full Gospel Church, and uh, Mom and Dad were pastoring uh, there at the time. And uh, between Sunday school and regular church, sometimes as kids, and it really wasn't just but a few of us, uh, but we would go outside the church and we'd play around and do something uh, until it was time for church to start, and then we would come in. Well, this particular Sunday, uh, it was me and uh, my cousin Chris Lewis, and uh, there may have been one or two more with us, I can't remember. We went outside the church and went around the corner, and it was an old white uh, block, you know, wall church. And uh, on the side of this church were all these lizards. It was like crazy. There was just like dozens of lizards crawling up uh, the side of the church. And uh, we were, you know, being boys, we were uh, we were just enamored with it. So we were we were picking them up, and you know, you do the stuff that, that boys do when you pick up lizards. You know, you make them hang on to your ear and walk around with it. You pull their tails off, and uh, that, I don't know what else you do with a lizard. I mean, that's all we knew what to do. And so we decided these things are so much fun, we don't want to give them up. We don't want to release them back into the wild when we go into church. So we, we come up with this plan. We decided uh, that we're going to take these things with us into the sanctuary when we go. So we came up with this plan, and I don't remember—I don't even remember how we did it. But uh, back in the day, you could take a piece of paper and you could fold it up in a certain way and leave a hole in one end. And when you blew in it, it would blow up like a balloon, and it still have a hole in one end. And we said, "What well, we're going to make is this." We hurried up. We got some paper. We folded these things all up, blew them up, and we stuffed the lizards down inside of this paper balloon. And we carried them with us very carefully into the sanctuary, and we sat down on the front pew waiting for church to start. Well, we made one bad miscalculation. The same hole that allowed the lizard to go into that paper balloon was large enough for the lizard to come out of the paper balloon. Now, some of y'all are, are old enough to remember this. You don't have to remember it. Do you remember the old song, The Day the Squirrel Went Berserk in the First Self-Righteous Church? Y'all remember that? Amen. This was this wasn't that. Amen. This was the day that the lizard went berserk in Bay Springs Full Gospel Church because uh, as they got ready to start the service, one of those lizards, and it wasn't mine by the way, it was my cousin's. Uh, amen. He let his out of that paper balloon, and it's scary. And it, you know where it went? It went straight to the pulpit, straight to the altar, <laughs> so that everybody in the church, including my dad, Amen, who was a pastor, could see what was going on. Amen. And my face turned about as red as probably one of these pews. And, and we ran up there and we grabbed it. Mom's probably looking at me. I don't remember now. But uh, mom's probably looking at me like, I'm going to kill you when this is over with. And uh, I was so embarrassed. And uh, everything was, uh, I mean, we ran up there. We got it. And we ran out of the church. And we released the lizards. And we came back in. And we listened to the message very intently the rest of the day. Amen. 
tell you, there were consequences. We, see, we thought we could hide it. We thought we could bring it into the church and nobody would even know. And we could hide it when we brought it in and uh, uh, we, could, we knew that it was there, but nobody else would know that it was there. But our sin found us out. And I can tell you, I don't know, I don't remember exactly what happened. Mom probably, that's been so long ago, Mom probably doesn't remember either. But I don't know, but I know for sure there was consequences for our actions after that service was over with. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. There are consequences to our sins. And David found out about this the hard way as well. And I want you to turn, if you got your Bibles, to 2 Samuel chapter number 12. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. So you, you know the story of you know the story of King David. Uh, he learned this lesson, as I said, the hard way. Um, one day David is, is out and uh, he sees Bathsheba bathing on a roof next door. And David begins to lust after Bathsheba. So much so that David carries out his lust. And he ends up having uh, an, an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. And through this encounter that he has with Bathsheba, uh, Bathsheba becomes pregnant. And uh, she is going to have a child. And so David, you know, this was, let me back up just for a second, because if you don't understand, uh, Bathsheba was already married. She was married to a man named Uriah the Hittite. And Uriah the Hittite was not just any old man. This was one of David's mighty men of valor, one of his mighty fighting men. It was one of his friends. So Bathsheba should have been off limits from the very beginning for many, many different reasons. But for none other than that was, you know, uh, against, it was a sin against God. It was a sin of adultery. He knew that. Uh, it was also a sin against Bathsheba causing her to commit adultery. It was a sin against Uriah, uh, the Hittite, his friend, and uh, uh, he did something that he shouldn't have done uh, there. And uh, uh, David knows all this, and so what he does is he tries to concoct this plan and come up with this scheme to hide his sin so that nobody knows what's going on and nobody knows what's happening. He thinks he's got this thing all figured out. So when he decides, when he realizes that Bathsheba's pregnant, and it's going to have a child. She, he calls Uriah the Hittite back from war. He lets uh, him come back into Jerusalem there and, and spend the night or maybe a couple nights there uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, and he encourages him, go spend time with your wife. Go with Bathsheba. Go spend time with her. Uh, because what he was trying to do, obviously, was, uh, was try to show, well, if she does end up, if she ends up pregnant, she has a child, they can go back, calculate, figure out, it wasn't me, it was Uriah. The problem is, Uriah was more righteous than David was because Uriah said, no, man, I can't do this. My brothers are back in war. They're fighting right now, and they can't spend the night with their family. They can't spend the night with their wives. Who am I, I mean, to, to do this thing? I'm not going to do this. I'll, I'll spend the night in the open square do something else, but I'm not going back and, and, and spending the night with my, with my wife there. So David says, man, all right, that plan failed. So he has to come up with another plan. So David comes up with this plan. He says, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to go out into, into battle. And I want you to send Uriah the Hittite to the very front lines. And I want you to put him out there in front of the enemy. 
And right at the right moment, I want, as you ride the Hittites there in front of the enemy, I want you to call and the others begin to retreat and leave Uriah out there hanging for himself. And it's exactly what happens. Uriah ends up being killed in battle. Now David thinks, now I've done it. I've gotten rid of all the evidence. I've gotten rid of everything. Now this guy's gone away. It really doesn't matter. I can go and I can take Bathsheba to be my wife. And, I, and this adulterous relationship, the sin that I've committed will be covered. It'll be, it'll, be, uh, it'll be hidden. Nobody else will have to know what's going on. The problem with that is that David failed to remember that God knows everything. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we can act in a way, I've done this, maybe you haven't, amen, we can act in a way sometimes where we feel like nobody knows what we're doing. And our sins are hidden. And that, you know, I can just keep it to myself, it's on the inside, nobody else knows about it, but we forget that God knows everything. And if God knows everything, He can reveal it to whoever He wants to reveal it to. And so David's sin eventually finds him out. He might have thought he could hide it, but he could not hide it from God. And God reveals it to a man named Nathan the prophet. And Nathan the prophet confronts David regarding his sin. So let's look there. You, I told you to turn to 2 Samuel. I go to 2 Samuel chapter number 12. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. If you lost, go to 1 Samuel and take a right. If you still lost, go to 1 Kings, take a left. As I said, if you still lost, go to the table of contents or the index, whatever it is, and you can find the page number. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. We're going to begin reading at verse number 1. The Bible says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. I'm reading out of the New King James Version this morning. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, so the Lord sends Nathan to David for the purpose of exposing David's sin. And Nathan is going to begin this conversation by telling David a parable, much in the same way that Jesus taught in parables in the New Testament. End of that verse says, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Think about that just for a minute. Now, some of you can sympathize with this with this poor man, I mean, because some of y'all got animals that are more like children or more like family members than they are just pets, right? Uh, mom is that mom's always loved animals. She's always had animals, and uh, they become really more part of the family uh, than they are uh, just an animal pet. And that's what this this little ewe lamb meant to this to this poor man. It was all he had. It was the only one he had. Uh, it was special to him. And so uh, Nathan continues on with this with this parable. Verse number four it says, "And a traveler came to the rich man." who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come unto him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man 
who had come to him. Can you imagine the horror of this poor man? As the rich man comes and takes the one precious possession that he has in his life. And he takes it from him and he, he kills it. He prepares it as a meal uh, for, for this wayfaring traveler that's come uh, to his house. Verse number five. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. Verse 6, And he shall restore fourfold the lamb, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. See, David gets mad. He's hearing this story, and he's like, Man, this ain't right. This is terrible. This is horrible. This guy that did this, uh, this rich man, he needs to pay for what he's done. He needs to, he needs to, if he's got to die, but he needs to restore fourfold what he's done to this man. He has destroyed this man's life. He has done something so terrible and so wicked. Uh, and, and, and he needs to be punished for his sin. And Nathan looks at him and says, You are the man. Can you imagine the lump in David's throat? As Nathan the prophet looks at him and says, you are the man. What was, what was he saying? He was saying, this parable that I just told you is a parable of what you've done to Uriah the Hittite and what you've done to Bathsheba. And not only what you've done to them, but what you've done to God in sinning against him. And David, I mean, if we, we just continue on, he says, you are the man. It says, at the end of verse number 7, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Let's continue on. This is Nathan's rebuke against David. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. It gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. So through Nathan the prophet, God rebukes David for his sin and tells him all the things that he has done. But now God is going to pronounce judgment on David's house for his sins. Verse number 10. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. This was fulfilled uh, throughout David's life. If you read the story of David, he was constantly at war. Uh, he was at war with Saul. He was at war with other nations. He was at war even with his own family, with his own son at one time, uh, at one point. But uh, uh, in fact, uh, it is because that David is a man of war uh, that God does not allow David to build the temple. You remember Moses sinned. Oh, the good things that Moses did, right? Part of the Red Sea, hit a rock, water comes spewing out of it uh, to water the people of Israel. And all the miracles and all the things that he had done, Moses still sinned in the end. You can read that account uh, in the Word of God. And because of Moses' sin, God did not allow Moses to go into the Promised Land. He had to go up on a mountain and see it from a distance. But he wasn't allowed to step foot in there. And so the same thing happens with David, uh, that David has this heart to build a house for God, to build a temple for God. But God doesn't allow him to do it because he says you are a man of war, a man of blood. You've got too much blood on your hands. You're not going to build it. You'll prepare 
way for your son, uh, your descendant will build it. We know that ended up being Solomon. But you can't do it because you're a man of war and a man of blood. And we know that continually happened throughout David's life. The end of that verse says, Because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives from before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. That sounds harsh. That sounds tough. That sounds uh, like a, a, a tough punishment there. But again, uh, this was fulfilled just like Nathan the prophet says. In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter number 16, you can read it. David's own son, Absalom, is guilty of doing this thing. He takes David's wives, his father's wives, and his concubines, and he lies with them on the rooftop in the sight of all Israel, uh, fulfilling this prophecy that Nathan the prophet pronounced against David. Verse 13, And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Now there's the grace of God. Because David truly repented in his heart and said, God, I am sorry. I have sinned against God. I have sinned against your eye. I've sinned against Bathsheba. I've sinned against my own body. I've sinned against these things. God, please forgive me. And you can, we're not going to take time to do it this morning. You can go to Psalms chapter number 51. Read that entire chapter. It is David's prayer of repentance uh, for what he had done with Bathsheba. And uh, he was truly repentant of what he had done. And God forgave him of his sin. As terrible as it is, as horrible as it appears to be, that he would commit adultery with another woman, that he would have her husband killed so that he can make her his wife. After all of these things that David had done, God still forgave his sins. Yeah. You know, when you think about it, just, you know, I don't know that any of us could, you know, say, you know, or we like to we like to compare ourselves to people sometimes and say, you know what, well, I'm, I'm not as bad as he was. And, you know, we read that account of David and we say, you know, I, I've, never, I've never done that. I've never committed adultery with my wife. I've never had somebody killed, for goodness sakes. You know, I, I've never done any of these things. But the truth of the matter is, we've all sinned to come short of the glory of God. Yeah. Every single one of us have committed sins in our lives. We've done things that are contrary to the word of God and contrary to God's laws and God's plan and God's purpose for our lives. But God was faithful for every single one of us that are in here today. I believe you've been to the cross of Calvary. You let that blood that has never lost its power wash over you and cleanse you. And God has forgiven you of your sins. No matter what we have done, God is faithful and he is just, the Bible says, to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the only thing that we have to do in order for that verse to apply to our lives at the beginning of this is if we confess our sins. If we confess our sins, yeah. then God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All he asks us to do is come to him and ask him for forgiveness. And it's just that easy. The Bible says he will cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. I pick, every time I hear that, there's a song Cassidy Crown sings a song, East to West, and we used to sing it a lot. Uh, some other people, uh, it, uh, some younger people used to sing it a lot. And uh, every time I picture that song, 
Now I'm casting your sin as far as the east is from the west. I can't help but just picture Jesus on the cross with his arms spread out as far as it is. And he's saying, I'm casting your sin as far as the east is from the west. It's going into a sea of forgetfulness that will never be remembered or brought up against you again. That is the grace of God. And thank God for his grace, because had it not been for his grace, had it not been for his grace, I would not be here right now. I promise you that. Amen. But here's the thing. Even though God forgave David of his sin, even though God, after David repented, said, you know what? Your sins have been forgiven. You will not die. There were still consequences to David's actions. Let's keep reading. David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord against, and Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Verse 14. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. I said a couple of Wednesday nights ago that that message on Daniel's seventy weeks prophecy was, was prophecy was pretty heavy. That word right there is pretty heavy. God said the child that is the result of the relationship between you and Bathsheba is going to die. David, you're not going to die. David, I'm going to forgive you of your sins. But David, there's going to be consequences for your actions. That's pretty heavy. But I want to talk to you this morning. The remainder of time we got left, and I'm going to walk through these very quickly. I want to talk to you about the consequences of sin in our own lives. And I've got seven things this morning. Seven deadly consequences of sin. Number one, sin affects us personally. There's an old saying, sin will carry you further than you want to go, cost you more than you can afford to pay, afford to pay and keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin has consequences in our lives. Amen. And they can be physical consequences. They can be spiritual consequences. They can be mental or emotional consequences in our lives. But uh, if I could just say it uh, very plainly to us this morning, I picture this in, in this way. Sin is like a cancer that eats us from the inside out. It's an evil. It's a uh, it is something that, uh, uh, that is uh, contrary to what God wants to do in our lives. And uh, if we are continually in this mode of sin, and I'm not talking about, you know, we slipped up and we made a mistake today and we did this and, uh, you know, we repented of it and God forgave us of our sins. I'm not talking about those, those slip-ups. I'm not talking about falling short of the glory of God like we all do on a daily basis. But what I'm talking about is when we fall into a pattern, a repeated pattern, a continuous pattern, a habit, a habitual pattern of sin in our lives and we refuse stubbornly over and over and over and over again, though the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts and our lives and say, you need to correct this area of your life. This area doesn't line up with, uh, with what I want to in your life. And we stubbornly refuse the word uh, and the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we need to continue to do what we want to do no matter what God says. That's what I'm talking about. Sin can have consequences for us personally, but not only does it affect us personally, Sin also affects others. In fact, sin affects most of the time, I will say this, sin affects others more than it affects ourselves. This can be either directly or indirectly. Sin, I've seen it happen many, many times. Sin can affect marriages. 
Sin can affect or destroy friendships. Sin can destroy families. And I've even seen sin destroy churches and church families. Amen. Sin not only affects us personally, but it affects other people around us. You see, David, not only did his sin affect him personally, it affected Bathsheba, and it affected Uriah the Hittite, and it affected that child that was to be born, amen, and that child that died because of David's sin. There was more than just the effect on David's life. There was effects that spread out to those that were around him. Number three, sin grieves the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of holiness and the spirit of truth. And sin goes against the very nature of God and against the very nature of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Ephesians chapter number 4, verses 30 through 32 says this, Do not grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So it's true that we can grieve the Spirit of God, and there's a way that we can grieve the Spirit of God. Well, how is it? Well, he goes on to tell us, Paul does, in the next verse, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. What is he saying? How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? When we're a Christian and we allow bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and all these things to be in control of our lives instead of letting forgiveness and love and grace and mercy be the picture of who we are. Amen. Sin in our lives grieves the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is, the Bible says, and much like the Father, perfect, holy, righteous. And when we're doing things that are against that and the nature of God, the Holy Spirit that is inside of us is going to know it. <laughs> And we're not going to be able to hide it from the Holy Spirit. We can hide it from Mama, and we can hide it from Daddy, and we can hide it from our wives and our husbands, and we can hide it from our children, and we can hide it from our church, and we can hide it from everybody else that's around us, but we cannot hide it from God. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Number four, sin hinders intimacy with God. Did you know that sin will separate you from God? You know, that's what sin, that's what sin did in the very beginning. The sin of Adam and Eve in the garden separated them from their relationship with God. They could no longer commune with him in the garden of Eden as they had done before after they sinned and ate of the fruit that God told them not to eat. Amen. Because God ended up having to do what? He had to kick them out of the garden. God used to think about this. The Bible says God used to come down in the cool of the day and just sit down and have a conversation with Adam. Have a conversation with you. Think about that just for a minute. The relationship that they had, a perfect fellowship and relationship with God, it was broken because of sin. And the same thing is true with us today. When we allow sin to be in control of our lives, it breaks fellowship with God. In fact, it can hinder, even remove the Spirit of God, the, the anointing of God, the blessing of God upon our lives. And it can even hinder our prayers. The Bible bears this out. Isaiah chapter number 59, verses 1 and 2. I love this. I love verse number 1, and I quote it all the time. Amen. And I will say, let me just read it. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Man, that's good preaching right there. That'll preach. Amen. The Lord's arm's not short that he won't save, and his ear's not heavy that he doesn't hear. And I quote that a lot, and I, I, I'm preaching to myself and stepping on my own toes this morning because I'll stop right there. Now, don't quote verse number two. 
Verse number two says, but your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You see, if we're not careful, we can allow sin to come, become so important to us in our lives that instead of putting God first and foremost, instead of making him uh, the passion of our lives, instead of loving him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, we can allow the things of this world and sins, the things that come in our lives and become more important to us than our relationship with God. When we do, those sins can separate us from our relationship and our fellowship with God. I mean, you want to, you know, know sometimes, amen, in our lives, amen, why it feels like, amen, that, that heaven's shut up and our prayers are not being answered. Amen. Maybe we need to do like David. Maybe we need to go back and read uh, Psalm chapter number 51. And maybe we need to come back to a place of an altar and say, God, is there anything in my life that is hindering me from being what you have me to be? Number five, sin gives place to the devil. See, sin opens up the door for more sin. That first sin makes it easier for the next sin. And it not only makes, makes it easier for the next sin, but it also makes it easier for a deeper depth of sin, for more increased um, sin in our lives. And, and it's... It gives place to the devil and it gives him authority over our lives in a place that he should not have as a child of God. Our authority, we should be under the authority of the Holy Spirit. But when we are allowing those things to control our lives, we are giving, we are handing authority over to the devil and saying, here, take this area of my life. And I can tell you, if you do that, amen, Satan will take that opportunity every single time. And if you give the devil, we say it this way sometimes, if you give the devil a foothold in your life, in other words, if you open the door just enough for the devil to stick his foot in and block the door open, he's coming in to your life. If you give the devil an inch, he will be your ruler. He will take every opportunity he can to destroy our lives and to take us into a place, amen, where we don't want to be and God doesn't want us to be. Number six, Sin brings reproach on the kingdom of God. This is true of every Christian. And I see it, I've seen a lot. I, I've, uh, I watched, uh, I've watched people do different things. And I know everybody's got different opinions about different things, but you know, I've seen people that, uh, that had, you know, there were Christians, they're, they're in the body of Christ, but when you see them outside the church, they're nothing like they are. They're not the same person that they are when they're inside the church building. They're, they're a completely different person. They act all holy and all righteous. They like they got it all together. They like all their, you know, they just, they never sin. I mean, my goodness, could you imagine brother so-and-so that he ever seen? You know what I mean? They act that way in the church, but when you see them outside, you're like, man, I didn't realize, you know what I mean? Uh, I know we're not supposed to judge folks, but you understand what I'm saying. There's there's a there, there's a difference there, and you reckon and people recognize that, and not only do Christians recognize that, sinners recognize that, and they look at those people, and they are the ones that they end up labeling as hypocrites, and they'll say the words, "I ain't going down there to that church because that church is full of a bunch of hypocrites." That's how they talk. I don't know why they talk that way. <laughs> they, you know what I'm talking about. They get that voice. I ain't going down in that church. Bunch of hypocrites. Well, let me say this before I move on. 
I'd rather go to church with a bunch of hypocrites than go to hell with all of them. Right. Amen. I'd rather go to church with a few of them on this side. Amen. To get through. Amen. To make it to heaven. Amen. Than have to spend eternity. Amen. With every single one of them. But if we're not careful, Amen, we can we can lose our we can lose our our, our, our influence over people's lives, Amen, because we allow sin things to control us, and we allow, Amen, that that spirit of uh, I'll just say it, spirit. I mean, Jesus talked about it a lot. He talked to the Pharisees, and he called them hypocrites and liars and all this kind of things because they were the same way. You know, they talked a good talk, but they didn't walk the walk. Amen. We can't just talk the talk. We got to be willing to walk. The walk as well. When we do and allow sin, it brings a reproach on the kingdom of God. And it is more true, and I know it shouldn't necessarily be this way, but it is more true for leaders in the church. And I throw myself in, in the fire this morning. As the Bible says in um, James chapter number three, verse number one. This isn't, again, New King James Version. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. King James Version says, be not many masters. Be not many teachers, because we'll receive a stricter judgment. Why? And because I'm going to stand before God one day and give an account of every word that I say. When I stand behind this pulpit, the pulpit that I stood behind in New Testament church, uh, any other pulpit that I've stood behind, and preached, and when I minister to people and talk to people, I'm going to give an account for what I say and what I do. And I'm going to give account for the times that I tell people, come on, help me preach right here. Amen. I'm preaching against myself. I'm going to give account one day for the times that I stood and preached to somebody else and told them how to live and how to how to do it, how to do it right, and I didn't do it myself. I'm going to give an account one day. I talked to a gentleman. Last night at the wedding, he was a, he was a pastor, and, uh, at least uh, I think he's still a pastor, and uh, he, had, he had turned the church over to his wife, and his wife is leading the church now, and he said, I've taken a step back, he called it a sabbatical, he said, I'm taking a step back, I'm taking a sabbatical, because, you know, and he, he kind of hem-hauled around a little bit, but he finally said, you know, it's because, you know, I need to get some things straight in my life, and I, I need to... Uh, we, we all, all of us as preachers need to be in a place where we practice what we preach. And I said, man, you know, that's great. I understand all that, you know, and, you know, I, I, and I can see, and, I, and I'm glad he has that kind of spirit to say, you know what, I'm not in the place where I need to be to lead anybody because I'm not practicing what I'm preaching. I'm glad he had that, uh, at least had the, uh, the knowledge and had the wisdom to say, you know what, it's time for me to step back and do something different until I can get my life right. And it's the same thing is true for us. And, and, uh, um, and the same thing is true in my life, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and if I'm not practicing when I preach, when I walk out of my job site and, uh, you know, if, if I'm, you know, uh, nobody can tell that there's something different about my life and I'm not living my life in the way that I should. Yeah. If somebody can't see Jesus in me, you know, I, I'm not living this thing right. When I'm not doing that, I'm bringing a reproach upon the kingdom of God and allowing the devil to get a foothold in my life. Number seven, sin ultimately results in death. Original sin introduced sin and death into the world in the Garden of Eden. We talked about that. And death, the Bible says, is the final enemy that's going to be destroyed. And sin in an unbeliever's life will result in spiritual death, which is eternal separation from God. Romans chapter number six, verse 23 says it plainly, for the wages of sin is death. 
But the end of that verse is the promise. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's what we're here to celebrate this morning is the knowledge and the, uh, the, the, the strength to know that, uh, that Jesus has forgiven us of our sin and has made a way out for us to have a way of escape uh, from these things. And uh, I thank God for that this morning. But sin, as I want to say this morning as I close this morning, sin has real and in some cases severe and long-lasting consequences. That's why it is so vitally important that we as Christians guard our hearts and our minds and abstain from sinful lifestyles. Perhaps some operate with a mindset that God is such a loving and a merciful and a gracious God that it doesn't really matter what we do or how we act or what, we, what we've done, that God's grace is just sufficient and that it's almost like just an automatic thing. We're automatically forgiven. We don't have to ask God for forgiveness. We don't have to repent of our sins. No, we don't have to confess our sins, however you want to word it. Uh, I, I've seen that. I've heard that. And I've, I've, uh, I'm going to tell you, that's, that's a hard, very hard mindset to get through to people. I've tried to do it, and I've had many that I've tried to convince and tried to talk to to say, you know, it's not, it's, that's not what the Word of God says. But there's many out there today that are preaching. You can find them across your television screen, and you can find them, amen, on the Internet, and you can find them all over the place. It will tell you, hey man, it doesn't matter how you live. Once you're saved, you can just live life any old way you want to live. It's all good. It's all fine. We're all going to make it to heaven. It's all going to be great. I won't tell you that. I will tell you, hey amen, that hey man, if we, when we slip up and we mess up, we're going to. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. As long as our faith and our trust is in Him, yeah, he forgives us of our sins, but I think he wants us to come to him. I think he wants us to ask for that forgiveness. I think he wants us to repent of our sins and not just say, you know, uh, not just say, I'm sorry. To truly repent, turn away from those things in our lives. Why? Because we want to break that pattern. It's not, if we keep just coming back and saying, eh, sorry, eh, sorry, next day, the same sin over and over, sorry, God, you know, oops, my bad. After a while, I think God just gets a little, his patient, I know he's long-suffering. I think sometimes maybe God gets a little impatient with us sometimes to say, would you please just turn away from these things? Would you please just allow me to come into your life and change your heart, change your life? I mean, I want to I I leave you with just a couple things this morning. So if we're under, we find ourselves with us today or we find ourselves somewhere down the road under the control of sin in our lives, I mean, what do we do? Number one, we must recognize our sinful condition. All right? The first thing you got to do, and I'll tell you this, in psychology and all kinds of things, and it's true in the Word of God as well, you got to admit you got a problem before you're ever going to fix the problem. If you never admit that you got an issue and you got a problem in your life, you're never going to be in a position where you're ready to turn loose of it and let go of it. Number two, we got to repent of our sins. To repent means to change your mind. It means... Um, to turn away from sin and toward God. And, and in other words, it's not just saying, oops, I'm sorry, um, you know, my bad, God, I, I'll try not to do that again. It's consciously making a decision to say, I'm going to turn away from this thing uh, because I know it is uh, it is something that's hurting me. It's something that's hurting the people around me. It's something that's hurting God uh, because it grieves Him, the Holy Spirit, uh, and uh, what He wants to do in my life. Number three, got to receive forgiveness. 
I've seen a lot of people do this too, you know, where they, they beat themselves up so much over things in their lives and the mistakes that they make that they really, they can't even forgive themselves, much less accept the forgiveness of God or somebody else. And so we got to be willing to receive forgiveness and understand and know we all mess up. But God has made a way for us, I mean, to be forgiven. And when we, I mean, come to Him with a true heart of repentance, I mean, we got to be willing to receive that forgiveness. Not only that, we got to be willing to extend forgiveness sometimes to others who have hurt us. And we've got to be able to receive forgiveness from them as well. Number four, we must remove the temptations to sin. The Bible says, get rid of everything that enables us to sin. Now, the Bible also says, that God won't put more on us than what we can bear. A lot of times we take that to mean, you know, my problems, my my trials, my tribulations, and sickness, and, and all these things that God won't put me on more uh, on me than I can bear. But if you go back and read that verse in context, what He's really saying, the Word of God is really telling us, is that He won't allow temptation to sin to exceed what we're able to bear, but will, with the temptation, make a way to escape that we may be able to bear it. So the problem is not the temptation. It is not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin, the Bible says, when we give in to that temptation, we give in to our lust, and we allow lust, amen, to conceive and bring forth sin. And sin, when it's uh, it is fully complete, brings forth death. Amen. So it's not the temptation. It's giving in to that temptation. It's when it becomes a sin in our lives. And, and, and so we've got to be able to remove those things. Jesus said it this way. He said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Now, do you think he was really saying, do you think people were running around cutting their hands off and plucking their eyeballs out? No. It's not what Jesus was saying. Now, some might have taken him literally. I don't know. What is Jesus saying there? If there's something in your life that is the motivator for the temptation for you to sin. Get rid of it. Get it out of your life. Remove it from yourself. If it's, I don't have it, there it is. Amen. If it's this, if this is the thing that is your temptation to sin, figure out a way to get rid of it or close it down or lock it up or do something so that that is not an issue for you. If it's something else in your life, I mean, figure out a way. God says, cut it off, pluck it out, get rid of it. It would be better for you to go into heaven, maimed and blind, than spend an eternity in hell with those things in your life and carry them with you. And it's, a, it's a powerful statement. I know it's hard this morning. I know this is not a, a popular message, amen, but I'm, I'm just here to tell you this morning, I, I think God's word, amen, is clear to us, amen. He wants us to understand and know this, amen, that not only uh, does God just forgive us of our sins, and that's great and that's good, but I want you to also understand that there are consequences to our sins that go beyond the forgiveness that He extends in our life and things that can t damage relationships and damage things uh, that's in our lives. And the devil, uh, he's just sitting back sometimes just, just waiting for us to fall into those traps. The final thing is this. We must restore the damage because there's going to be damage. What did David say? He said, man, I could get my hands on that rich guy who destroyed that little ewe lamb. I would make him restore fourfold what he took from that man. He should die for what he's done. Nathan, when Nathan looked at him and said, you're the man. 
and I believe Scott sometimes, when we look down our noses at somebody else, we like to pick out, as I said earlier, we like to pick out other people's sins, and we like to say, you know, uh, I'm better than that person, so I'm okay. You know, I, I don't do the things that they do, so I'm, I'm better than they are. I'm, I'm all right. The Holy Spirit has a way of looking at us and saying, you are the man, or you are the woman. It's every single one of us. Who put the nails in Jesus' hands? It wasn't just the Roman soldiers. Who put the crown of thorns on his head? It wasn't just the Jews. Man. Who put those nails in his hands and in his feet? That crown of thorns on his head? Every single one of us. Every single one of us, because of our sins, were some of the ones that helped drive the nails into his hands and into his feet. Because if it were not for our sins, he wouldn't have had to hung on that cross. But he did it because he loved us. He did it because he knew there was no other way that we could be forgiven and, and, and make it to a place called heaven. We couldn't fulfill the law of perfection in the way that he did. So he came in perfection, died on a cross, lived a perfect life, sacrificed his own self, shed his blood on Calvary's cross so that we can have an advocate with him. We can have a mediator in heaven who is sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and I that we can come to him, fall down at the throne of grace uh, and find mercy, amen, and help in time of need in our lives. We have a Savior today, amen, whose blood has never lost its power. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Uh, what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can change my life? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. What He's asking us to do, Amen, is recognize and know that He has a plan and purpose for our lives. And He has a way of escape. Amen. That we don't have to give into the things. We don't have to let sin control our lives. We don't have to let the devil control our lives. We don't have to give the devil a foothold. We don't have to allow him to become the ruler of our lives. That we can have victory in Jesus and walk by faith every day in victory, knowing that we've got someone down on the inside of us who's helping us. That we have an advocate, we have the Holy Spirit to say, believe us, God, and direct us. Amen. To all truth in our lives. Stand with me, if you're able to stand this morning.